Welcome to American Narratives. I'm Marianne Pignon. And I'm Joe Frodsham. And we are excited today to have Maggie Martinson in our studio, actually remotely in our studio, virtually speaking. Maggie is just going to be an excellent guest. We've really been looking forward to chatting with Maggie. Um, she comes with 25 years of progressive leadership experience, largely in operations and management and finance across industries. Currently, she is the CFO of Crystal Ray Jesuit High School in Chicago. Crystal Ray Network is a network of schools with a unique model that integrates classroom and workplace learning. It's a big role, um, obviously a very important uh, kind of role and influencer as far as young folks within the Chicagoland area. Prior to that, Maggie's had a, a series of CFO roles and, and assignments that have given her really an interesting breadth and depth as far as uh, executive leadership, meta trends. I think she's very good at thinking at a strategic level and really understanding the social impact on so many levels. She also has a great personal story we're going to hear about. Um, she, and so with that, let's dive right in. Maggie, thank you, and w welcome to the studio. Thank you, Joe, and I'm glad to be here with both of you and looking forward to this conversation. Terrific. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that we always like to learn about people is where do, you know, where do, the, where do you come from? Where does your family come from? Where were you born or, and raised, and how did that influence your upbringing? I consider myself a lifelong Chicagoan. I'm a product of Chicago Public Schools. I have lived in various communities and neighborhoods over the years, uh, and I'm still a resident of the city of Chicago. I was raised with uh, the Spanish language and our Mexican culture being an integral part of our daily life. We were nine siblings, and my mother was very deliberate in wanting us to know our roots, to know our cultural heritage. Um, there was no compromising with her on us being fluent in Spanish. You know, we all sat around the dining room table to do our homework, and we were allowed to speak English amongst ourselves for school matters only. Outside of that, it was Spanish only in our home. And when I was younger, I didn't quite value that or understand it. Uh, but as an adult, I can really appreciate how critical that was to staying true to our identity. You know, I think a lot of um, young Mexican kids and now that are adults can relate to your story, Maggie. Um, so talk to us about when you were a kid, what did you dream about doing when you grew up? Did you think of being a CFO? Was that in your mind or, or where, how did that start? So CFO was not quite on my mind. Uh, that uh, actually just came as the result of the work experience I had. But when I was really young, I wanted to be a doctor. I thought I wanted to be in the field of medicine. Uh, but I was lucky enough when I was in eighth grade to be able to tour um, the medical school here at the University of Illinois in Chicago and quickly found out that cadavers and formaldehyde and all those things were definitely not going to be in my wheelhouse. Uh, then I began getting... Um, more interested in business. Uh, one of the things is, you know, a, a typical story of an immigrant kid is that a lot of times you become the voice and ears for your parents when they don't speak, you know, English. And so at a very young age, I would accompany my mother to all her business dealings. I, 
recall once I was probably nine years old and helping her uh, negotiate a, a mortgage refinance because I was the only one available to come to the bank with her and, and take care of these things and translate for her. Um, so I think uh, as a result of kind of having always been uh, the go-to person for my mom, everything that had to do with her finances and the family's finances and whatnot, I became a lot more interested in business. And I that's how I ended up going to business school and business administration as a general area really appealed to me. Um, once I started taking courses, um, I became more attracted to accounting and my early uh, work experience was in accounting as well. And it just progressed from there. Yeah. You know that, thank you for that. And, and obviously you've been a real success story. Um, what I didn't mention in the, the kind of preamble is that you were, where we connected with you, president of uh, FEI, Financial Executives International uh, Chicago Chapter, which is a very active chapter that does great work and very prestigious in many ways. So you, you've certainly shown that it can be done. Just a little bit more about kind of where you come from. Who were your major influences? I hear your mother already mentioned a few times. Was, was she the major influence or were there any other major influences during those formative years? Yeah, I have to say just, uh, yes, my mom, for sure. Uh, she, um, you know, she demonstrated a can-do spirit. Uh, she instilled in us faith and love and dedication to family. Um, she also made sure that we understood the value of education. And uh, quite often, you know, now as, a, as an adult, I can really see how critical that was and how wise of my mom. Uh, you know, a lot of... Um, my counterparts maybe were raised in families where uh, females specifically were not encouraged to pursue education much further than high school, or perhaps because of the financial pressures in the home at a young age, um, you know, the children start working and then they may not come back to school. And mom was always really very, very deliberate in letting us know that you will go to school, you will finish school. Uh, my older brother started working during high school. Everybody had to, you know, help out the home. We had a large home and uh, it was hard for mom to, you know, keep up with everything needed by all of us. But she always, I remember her warning them, like you may like your paycheck right now in high school and you may think it's really great to work the summers and you will be tempted to not finish school because you could start earning money, but you will cut your potential short. Like that's a short-lived game. You must get through school. You must continue on. And so that was always, I recall from a very young age, very central to us. You must finish your education. You must pursue schooling. That's a really cool story. I, I It sounds like my mom, actually. I, I think your mom, too. And my Mary. mom, yeah. Yeah, they were all yes. pretty much the same thing. And you might like the check, but delay a little gravitation and get educated. So that obviously has played real dividends for you, that influence and that advice and her being so consistent on that. Let's talk a little more about your career journey. All right. Um, finished high school, thought you might be a doctor, you know, the formaldehyde, the blood, who knows, all that stuff was not in your wheelhouse. <laughs> and I answered that quickly. And so you moved into business and finance. What was your first job outside of college. Can, can you walk us through your career just from a progression standpoint? Sure. So I went to a, a local college and received a two-year degree in business administration. So right out of there, I went to go work at, um, at a clinic, uh, being the business manager, the office manager, doing medical billing and uh, 
managing the whole revenue cycle for them. Uh, as I continued to go to school um, at night, I was not done. I just, that was the first step to get a full-time job and understanding that I wanted to proceed. And so I determined that I did want to become an accountant. And so I, I was going to school um, in the evenings to take more business and accounting courses. Well, I, I did that. I, from there, moved on to a large international company. They were actually a shipping intramodal company. They're interesting right now that we have all this supply chain conversations and everybody's learning what containers are and what intramodal means. Yes. <laughs> Brings me back to my years very early on in my career. Um, and I was with them for several years as I continued to go through school. My first sort of official full-fledged accounting role as a controller uh, was once I had my college degree and I worked with a restaurant company that had three different concepts and I was controller there. That led me into a progression of several jobs in the uh, restaurant food service industry. Um, from uh, so That was a smaller Chicago area restaurant, uh, you know, strong presence here in Chicago, the Mag Mile. But um, I kind of felt like I had... Um, sort of reach my potential there. And I had the opportunity to uh, go work for a different uh, restaurant company, which was a largely uh, large traded uh, restaurant organization. Uh, and they were public and they were national. So publicly traded large national uh, chain. And I became their controller and was with them for the better part of six and a half or so years uh, in charge of uh, uh, a pretty robust accounting team and all the accounting and financial reporting functions, internal and external reporting. I uh, gained a lot of experience with them. From there, um, I was recruited uh, to be CFO of another restaurant company. They were international based out of Canada, uh, wanting to have a presence here in the United States and they, um, elsewhere as well in Europe. And I was tapped to be the person to kind of help them make that happen. So it was a big jump for me. I had come from a very stable, solid um, company uh, with uh, lots of people in corner offices. And now all of a sudden I was taking this role of, I was going to be the one in that corner office. <laughs> and uh, wow. everybody would come to you for a lot of different uh, questions. It was a small entrepreneurial organization, private equity backed. Yeah. So completely different uh, just set setting in terms of uh, the way that you engage with a, a structured board in a public company versus engaging with uh, private equity investors. Yeah, and, and, and the CFO is, is the sometimes just as important as a CEO and a PE back firm, obviously, they're going to be talking to you a lot. I, how, how was that transition in retrospect? I mean, were you ready for it? I, how, how did you, how well, you know, what are lessons learned as far as migrating to a very different context in the top role? Exactly. Uh, I would say I, I was, I wasn't a hundred percent ready or as ready as I could have been in retrospect, right? At the time I believed I was ready and I took the role and I had it for, you know, over three years. Uh, however, um, I now realize some of the preparation that I could have had uh, that I didn't have going into that role. And um, I could, you know, I've learned to advocate for myself as the years go by, but I could have done a better job. You know, when I was at a uh, ECOSI for six years. I recall um, just how hard it was to get invited to sit in in particular meetings, to become part of the leadership team, to ask, you know, literally having to ask 
can I sit in on this board meeting? I promise I will not say a word. I just want to know what happens in the room. I just want to know what you, my boss, the CFO, does and says. And, um, you know, little by little, he started being more open to teaching and training me. Uh, but it was it was hard. And so I would say that I could have been better prepared to engage. Um, I also could have, I was not as um uh, as knowledgeable as I could have been about the real stark difference between working for a entrepreneurial equity-backed yes. company as opposed to, um, you know, a structured public company. And some of that was just kind of learning, uh, you know, on the go, you know, baptism by fire. <laughs> when your cell phone is ringing on a Sunday from an investor who wants to know Friday was the end of the month. What were sales looking like? Yep. And you're used to having a, a cycle where you clean your data and yep. you scrub your numbers and you're sure you're ready to prepare. You know, you're sure you're ready to share this information because it's good and clean and solid now. And no, you've got somebody telling you, I want raw numbers off the system and I want them now. And yeah, it was it was quite an adjustment. Uh, I'm a quick learning, so I learned on the fly. I did have some good trusted colleagues from my previous work experience that I was able to reach out to and tap into and say, I, I got this phone call, I'm not quite sure I know how to handle this. Uh, what would you do? How would you guide yeah. me through this? So I was able to, to lean into some mentors uh, professionally. Uh, at that time, I had also wisely uh, have become a member of FEI yep. and also had started to develop a, a good, um, you know, uh, network of colleagues who I could really trust and how I could pick up the phone and say, I might be over my bridges here a little bit. What would you do in this situation? And so, you know, I, I managed to, to learn quickly, but it was a constant learning all the time. Yeah. You know, I, and I've seen that derail a lot of folks when they go to a very different ownership structure, especially when they move from more stable public non non-high growth to a entrepreneurial high growth, private equity back, financially driven ownership structure. Uh, kudos to you to when dive in uh, and then be resilient, advocate for yourself and make it work. I mean, two really important lessons. Try it out and we're never ready, right? <laughs> Just got to make yourself ready. <laughs> no, no, I, I have to say, but I, I wouldn't have done it any other way yeah. because I was as ready as I was going to be yeah. and I had to make a move. And you reached out for help and advocated for yourself because uh, no one else will often unless you do it for you, yourself. Mm -hmm. Great stuff. Keep walking through our, your career then. Obviously, you're mm -hmm. at this. We kind of we kind of parked it there for a few minutes. Uh, where what you know, a lot of restaurant executive leadership, progressively larger Lexus restaurant and leadership. Then you get into this private equity kind of own situation. Uh, how did you transition out, and what what happened after that? So after three and a half years with Freshy, I uh, exited out. Uh, I, I had to make a decision whether I was ready to move myself and the family to Toronto to pursue uh, IPO for the company out there. And I decided to exit. And I uh, had a, I wasn't quite sure what direction I wanted to go. I had an opportunity to do a couple of contract-based uh, short-term CFO roles. Uh, for another uh, food service concept and also even going back to one, uh, one of my previous employers. And in doing that, I realized that I really appreciated the flexibility of choosing the type of work I did, who I did it with, and the length of time that I did. And um, 
you know, through, you know, I married very, my husband and I, we married very young. Uh, we had a, our daughter, when I was going through school, uh, while I was pulling long hours at a, a cozy meeting, filing deadlines and a freshie traveling back and forth to Canada, et cetera. And I was really at a point where I did not want to go back into a role that would require me to answer phone calls on Sundays while we're trying to be a church uh, and to really sacrifice so much. And so I, I made a decision at that time that I would pursue uh, being independently employed and starting my own consulting practice and not uh, go back into that corporate cycle that I felt had already um, demanded quite a bit from me and my family. And so I was very grateful for all the experiences and all the opportunities, but it's, you know, I made a, a decision at that point, uh, definitely very scary because you have to build a portfolio, you have to build your reputation, you have to, you're always doing business development, right? You always have to, you know, kind of have a pipeline, uh, but I was very successful. I was uh, able to um, have some, you know, clients that really enjoyed working with me and I was able to structure my work in such a way that I was able to spend time doing things that were really important to me. And by now, you know, our daughter was older and she was uh, in high school and I had more freedom. And my husband and I made a decision to have me dedicate four days to work. And one day of the week was going to be doing work that we felt was giving back. So I did a lot of volunteering work, a lot of ministry work uh, through church. I, uh, I said, you know, if we can make this work, you know, four days we'll be uh, running the business that pays the bills and one day a week will be um, given to others. And so I was very uh, successful in being able to do that and very grateful I was able to do that for over seven and a half years. Uh, during that time span, I did work with other restaurant companies, with nonprofits, uh, with a uh, counseling center, uh, churches, uh, a variety of clients. Because one thing about having, um, I was very flexible, I'm very nimble, having had, a, you know, my experience had the breadth of having um, been in very large, very structured settings, so I can navigate that very well. And also having been in very small, very streamlined settings where you fly high one minute and you're down in the weeds the next, and you're the CFO and the COO and the CLO and everything else, depending on the minute. So I was able to uh, adapt well into being um, independent and, and having a variety of clients. So that's, uh, that's where I was uh, pre-pandemic. And then the pandemic happened and now you're sitting in a role. Tell us how did, how did that happen and yep. what are you focused on now? Yeah. So there were two components that really uh, drove hard for me on that one was, um, you know, how you, you kind of plan your life and then um, things happen and God decides maybe you're going in a different direction. So because we married young, Steve and I, we were empty nesters at a young age and we were sort of enjoying what I thought was going to be, uh, second half of life, but I was wrong. Uh, three and a half years ago, um, it's a very long story, but we adopted. We adopted uh, our now 11-year-old daughter. Uh, she had originally been adopted by my sister who passed of cancer post her adoption. And um, through a series of circumstances, she ended up, um, you know, uh, passing. And now we adopted little Siliana when she was eight and a half years old. 
So uh, after having been empty, empty nesters for quite a few years and me thinking that I'm on the back end of my career, uh, here we were back to parenting and school lunches and oh. carpools <laughs> and <laughs> homework wow. and everything else that comes with that. Yes. But it has been wonderful. It has been an amazing, amazing journey. Um, but that all had already sort of had us in a mindset of evaluating life and what matters and what do you truly care about and, and yes. what kind of impact do you want to have? And uh, when the pandemic hit and all this social unrest and everything hit, uh, you know, it really just, uh, it was a period of reflection to, to say, you know, it's one thing to get involved with, uh, with the dialogue and to maybe even attend a protest and in my case, I felt good because one of the things I had done is I started teaching at a community college. I'm an adjunct professor at a community college in Chicago because I've always been very passionate about education and access to good education, quality instruction. So I thought I was kind of doing my piece. But last year really just kind of told me, no, you, you're, you're kind of taking step one, but there's a lot more steps that you can take. And um, the opportunity arose uh, with Cristo Rey in terms of I learned about them, they learned about me, and it uh, through just uh, several folks who know me very well, who knew about this opportunity to work with Cristo Rey, um, started planting that seed in my ear. And I thought, but I'm okay, I've got this private consulting practice, I kind of like it. Uh, but the more I really learned about it, I, I, I became convinced and absolutely convicted that this is a place where the change that we want to see in our society, in our culture is happening, that we are touching the lives of people and giving them access to not only education, but social equity to these employment opportunities that they have, that this was an organization I wanted to be part of and become part of the change that's happening. Um, and, you know, Cristo Rey, we serve uh, Mexican immigrant families here in the Pilsen community. Uh, so I can identify with the story of so many of our students and so many of our families. So it was just the right place for me to be. And that's where I am now. Maggie, thank you so much for sharing. You know, one of the things that I love to see from individuals is just highlighting the fact that the core needs, the values that we're raised with transpire and come about as an adult, right? So the value of education, family, and spirituality, everything that you're just mentioning is what your mom taught you at a young age, right? So tell us a little bit more about, obviously you've been in a different CFO um, accounting roles. What have been, what has been a, a most challenge or perhaps a mistake that you have made that has taught you a valuable lesson that you would want to share with us today? Oh, okay. I would say that there's probably been several, right, that, uh, that, that have been challenging. Um, you know, one of the, one of the lessons I did learn, um, while working at COSI, I learned a lot there. Uh, I had a good team. I get a, I had a solid team. Um, I, I learned uh, some good things and some challenging things. One mistake I, I made there was um, I, while I had to advocate for myself, I didn't advocate enough. And I didn't advocate enough for my team as well. Um, I was still sort of following the lead and following what others were doing. And so perfect example was when the company did well for a short period of time, 
there were executives who had, and we all, at, at some level, depending what level you have within the organization, you received stock options and various other forms of incentive, equity-based compensation. And um, the line that we would hear was, well, you have to be loyal and you have to believe in the brand and you have to trust what we're doing. So you hold on, you don't cash out. Uh, and while there were other, you know, some executives within the organization who were cashing out and you would question, you know, why they would do this, well, it was perfectly legal. They could do that. They had worked in other public companies. They knew when things look good, uh, you know, you take advantage. And so because the line I was getting very directly was, well, we don't do that. You know, there may be others in the company that do that, but we don't do that. Okay, thank you. And so while I, on paper, had a very um, generous and very, uh, you know, uh, could have said, you know, very lucrative potential buyout, cash out, because I was following the line of we don't do that, I didn't. And then when it all crashed, I walked away with nothing after so many years of hard work, long nights, eating McDonald's drive through at 10 o'clock at night, getting to my daughter who's already been put to bed. Um, and it, I learned that you have to balance what you do. And I may or may never have cashed out on those stock options that could have been worth several hundred thousands of dollars. It was just, I was following this loyalty, you know, mindset that had been instilled in me. And I didn't question that. And I had thought, well, if you just, are loyal and you're faithful and you follow the line, you will be rewarded eventually. Uh, so that was a really hard lesson for me to learn that um, you have to be wiser and you have to advocate for yourself more. And so while I did a lot of that, a lot of it there, I don't think I did enough. And in retrospect, when I think of the folks that worked for me, I, I always try to be a, a good leader and advocate for them as well. But I probably, by virtue of kind of towing the line on certain things, uh, also failed them in terms of being a stronger advocate for them. Well, I'm sorry you had to learn that that lesson the hard way, right? Um, a I, great insight. You but, know, it's, it, and, yeah. and uh, I, 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 one is you're not the first one to say that, right? I think you learn, you, you learn that there's this interesting balance between being loyal but also doing what makes sense for you in your personal life and mm -hmm. having taking care of your employees, right? And, and rocking the boat a little bit sometimes, and sometimes what leaders need to do. So mm -hmm. great insight. Thank you. Yeah. It really is. And I, I think it just ties back to it, loyalty being such a, a career myth, right? I think that's what our past generations, our parents, grandparents kind of betted on being in a long-term role within their companies, knowing that they were going to be taken care of, but that's not the reality nowadays. Yeah, that, that you need to do the right thing, be committed to doing the right thing. But uh, there is a little bit of you are your own brand. You are your own company. And, and it, you, you really learn that. It's interesting mm -hmm. as I kind of dissect your story that you made a very deliberate choice I don't always hear executives make. And that is I'm going to go independent. I'm going to go ahead and consult. I'm going to give up maybe the safety net and the comfort and the safety at some level, I guess, of an organization and do it on my own. And then to make that work for an extended period of time is pretty cool. Um, let, what do you like most and least about your work? When you get up Monday morning today and commute in, which 
uh, might be 30 steps to the study. I don't know what your commute looks like nowadays, but <laughs> if you're getting up Monday morning and know that most of that week you're going to do X, you're pretty excited versus getting up Monday morning, commuting in on those 30 steps and know most of that week you're going to do Y, you're much less excited. What's X and what's Y to you? Right. So what's, what gets me excited, we could start there because I'm just, I'm excited to see our students. Uh, we're back uh, on campus and even though everybody's fully masked up and you can't see everybody's smiling faces, students are here. Cool. Uh, parents come in, you know, we're in the business office. So naturally we engage with parents quite a bit. And so that gives me a lot of, they bring energy, they bring just a, a youthfulness and knowing their stories, knowing the impact that being here can make on their lives. Uh, that excites me a lot. I can recall growing up, you know, my mother, she did factory work. She did assembly work at a Jello factory. And, um, you know, I, she'd leave the house at five o'clock in the morning dressed in her uniform. And a lot of my aunts, uncles, and my relatives, that's the kind of work that they did. So growing up, deciding that I wanted to go to business school, I didn't have role models that did that necessarily within my family. I didn't see anybody get up and wear a suit and a tie to go to work. Everyone who I knew uh, wore a uniform and a name tag to go to work. Uh, and a lot of the students coming in here are in the same situation. But they, while they're in high school, get the opportunity to go work at ENY or Deloitte or power construction or wherever. And they're in business departments, marketing departments, sales departments. They are making connections and they are meeting people who will be part of their professional network going forward. Plus they can see themselves in the spot. So we're maybe in their immediate community and in their home, they don't see themselves. They can see themselves as an accountant, as an engineer, as a you know, business marketing executive, whatnot. And so just the thought that the work that we do here allows them to do that, it's, that excites me. That, that tells me this is why you go to work. This is what you do. So that's the, the best part of it. And the part that's a little bit, you know, nobody ever looks forward to is when you're in finance. So you're always, of course, that gatekeeper, right? So sometimes you have to chat with someone about you know, whether or not we can make that significant capital investment this year, or we have to postpone that renovation to next year or things like that. You know, some of those, the nitty gritty of the finance world, um, usually you're not always, you're not necessarily the bear or good news, right? That's right. You sort yeah. of have to. So that's yeah. the part that it's not, you know, it's not, I don't love that part about the job, but you have to do it. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, Maggie, you know, Joe and I say this all the time. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. And this last part, you're, you're just lighting up, big smile. So it seems like you're in the right, in the right place right now. Oh, I am. I know that. And yeah. so, and I'm very blessed in that regard. You know, I'm very blessed to have been able to be in a position in my life and in a place where when this opportunity came knocking and looking for me, um, I was able to say, yes, I can do that. Yes, I want to do that. And I will. Um, and I'm glad I did. Mm -hmm. So, Maggie, tell us, obviously, we experience a lot of things in life. Um, you talked to us about a, a, a mistake that you made. Has there any, have you experienced anything that may have seemed unfair to you in the past? Thank and you. it. And if so, how, how, how did you go about, uh, how did you deal with that? Um, 
Yeah, professionally, I would say I have experienced that um, throughout. Um, earlier on, uh, when I was working for Mitsui, this large intermodal company, I had um, I had an I had applied for for a role that I thought I was qualified for and that I, I wanted to have an opportunity. And we're talking early on in my career. So probably some type of, you know, mid-level coordinator or something, you know, sure. I wasn't looking to become the controller at that time. Um, and the, there had been a, the, the job was posted internally and everybody could apply, et cetera. But unbeknownst to me, there had already been a decision who was going to get the role and the process of the job posting and everything else was more of a formality. So we can comply with company um, rules and whatnot. And I, I really felt that I was the better qualified person for that role, and um, and I, it was it was unfair. And uh, I did question um, the thought that I the, the fact that I did not feel that that was that that it had been a fair process. Mm -hmm. And my boss at the time said, "Yeah, life's not fair." Yeah. And you know they acknowledged that, and it was. Um, I felt like it was going to stunt me, like I'm going to stay stuck here in this department and I'm always going to be a revenue coordinator for this intermodal shipping company because the odds are stacked against you, right? But um, that was a short-lived um, a short-lived uh, experience because first of all, I don't stay stuck there. My mom taught me not to do that, right? She taught us our faith and our strength and and you just, you always have hope and you always know a better day is gonna come. And uh, because I had been so vocal about how wrong that was and how unfair that had been and how I was working so hard to try to get ahead, uh, that was very clear and present in my boss's mind. So he was having lunch one day with a acquaintance of his who said, I could really use someone who come in, come into my restaurant organization. I own three restaurant concepts and I really could use a controller and I wish I could find the right person. And he said, I actually have the right person that works for me. Uh, and he made that introduction. And so um, while that was unfair, uh, my boss was actually very fair in terms of knowing that I was very, I had been looked over. It, it had not been right. And I was very determined that I was going to move forward. And so he provided that introduction, which was pretty fantastic. Yeah, well, congratulations on speaking up. I think that's half the battle sometimes, right? And um I, it's difficult I, it is, and, and there's kind of a couple of themes that I'm getting from this. Uh, you know, obviously there's there's opportunity around the next corner. You've had a series of great opportunities. A lot of times it's through network and advocacy that opens the next door. And that as you've gotten older in your career, you've really made purpose-driven purpose, purpose -driven decisions, not just career decisions and lifestyle decisions around things that are important to you, which I think is a great lesson. Um, as we kind of wrap this up and think about lessons and, and what you would like to share, what are some key lessons, learnings, golden nuggets that you would like to share with our audience, things that you've learned along the way that as they kind of navigate their career to keep in mind? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing I would say uh, for myself is like it's it's never really over, right? I had this mistaken idea that I, I'm – Back when I was doing my consulting and doing some volunteering and, uh, you know, I'm in my second half of life. No, forget that. I've like restarted life, not only on the there personal side, <laughs> back to parenting 101. I'm yeah. back in an in-house CFO role. So uh, 
you know, the it's never over. The show's never over. <laughs> really, that's kind of how I feel. Uh, the other thing is to um, take risks. Uh, it, it's it, life is not lived in a safe lane, or at least I don't think life is experienced to the fullest in the safe lane, right? So whether it's you know picking up the phone and you know back in 2010 when Freshie came calling and I was probably not as ready as I should have been to be the CFO of this international company, but I did it and I learned and it was the right thing to do. I took that risk. Um, you know, being uh, flexible, I think it's so important. You need to be flexible. Um, rigidity, I don't think serves well. It's actually, you know, a stereotype of people in finance and accounting, this whole idea of you're, you know, kind of sharpening your pencils and you're very rigid, but I don't think that serves well. Uh, you know, be authentic. I've learned that, you know, along the way. Uh, from things of just who you are personally, culturally, bring your whole self to work. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't ever say that I'm someone who was a muted person. It's just not my personality. I think I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm stronger that way. But there are things I did, like example, for example, I spent, you know, God knows how many thousands of dollars and countless hours straightening my hair because I was led to believe early on that, you know, curly hair is not professional. I actually had someone tell me at a board meeting, I wish I could wear my hair like you do, just kind of messy. You know, you know, people make comments like that. And so you kind of get this sense that being you is not okay, that you have to be someone else. And so I've, uh, like you said, I think maturity, uh, gray hair, and just life experiences have taught me that just be yourself, just be real, just be genuine. Um, you know, making the decision when we had a 30-year-old daughter to decide that yeah, we're going to adopt an eight and a half year old child. Um, yeah, that was big, but boy, was it one of the best decisions we've ever made in our life. So yeah, don't be afraid. Even when you make a mistake, you will be able to get back up again. Uh, that's very inspiring. It's not only, again, how you said it, what you said, but how you said it. Yeah, I can tell it's, it's very convicted and I got a lot out of this. Sure this did. Really good. Definitely motivating. Well, thank you so thank much. You. Thank you so much, Maggie, for your time and sharing your story. Um, and we'll be, you know, we'll be catching up with you and, and keeping track. And I'm sure we'll stay in contact. But thank you so much for sharing your story with American Heritage. Thank you both. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Maggie.